This message is by Jesse Green, pastor of the Union Square Community of Liberty Church in New York City. Has anyone in this room ever had a complicated relationship before? No? Just me? Okay, I saw a lot of hands, and you got, like, more hands went up for that than, like, any altar call. (laughs) You're like, it's complicated. We live in New York City. But relationships sometimes are complicated, and so that's why the name of this message is Relationship Status. So I remember when Facebook first came out. So I'm 30. I know you're like, what? You were around when Facebook first came out? I was. I was in college. And... I remember when they released relationship status on Facebook. It was a huge deal. Like, it was all the talk on campus. Like, oh, my gosh, did you see this person's relationship status? Oh, my gosh, this person is in a complicated relationship with this person. And I always wondered, why would someone put on Facebook, it's complicated? Like, that kind of seems like TMI. And if it's complicated, you probably should just end it. But you want everyone to know about it. But now we just talk about it on Instagram and show pictures of our complication. Right, guys? Um, But I remember this was a huge thing. And it's an inherent thing in us to figure out our relationship statuses with people. Like, we can't help ourselves. Like, even with friends, we say, oh, this is my tribe. We see Taylor Swift and we say squad goals. Even like in our dating relationships, we say things like, are we like hooking up, dating, seeing each other exclusive? Like there's hundreds of definitions for your relationship. And they can be so complicated. And so I wanted to let you know about my own complicated relationship I had once with Parker. So you're going to get all the goss tonight. I know you guys are itching for it. So here it is. So as you could imagine, dating your pastor could be complicated. Can I get an amen? (laughs) I would not encourage any of you to do it. And luckily for you, they're all married. So you will never have to date your pastor. You're welcome. So dating your pastor is extremely complicated. So Parker moved here. And he's attractive. And so I decided I will not like him when he moved here because I thought everyone else will like him. So I will not because I am not like everyone else. And I remember saying to Gracie at a party once, I was like, I don't like Parker. He's not even funny. And (laughs) and she was like, why are you talking about Parker so much? (laughs) And I was like, because he's not funny and he thinks he is funny. And she's like, Okay. And there was one time where we would do family dinners and we went to Whole Foods for family dinner and I sat at a table far away from Parker and uh, I was keeping my heart pure and I sat far away from him and I'm just eating my salad from Whole Foods and I'm about to leave with my, with Gracie and Leah and uh, Parker's like, we should start this Monday night football party. You're a social person, Jesse. Do you think you can organize this? And being a good steward of God's kingdom, I agreed. I hate football, but I agreed. And so in this awkward tension, Parker then says to me, okay, let's talk about this more. How can I reach you? So (laughs) I say, 
what any good Christian girl says. And I say, I don't know, by carrier pigeon? And then I walk down the stairs of Whole Foods and I go, just kill me. Just kill me. Why did I say that? And as I'm going down the stairs, I'm like, 631. <laughs> I'm like, please erase that from your mind. So as this kept going on and on, um, about this time, a few years ago, we had um, a Christmas tree chopping event. And it was over Thanksgiving. Parker sends me a text. And he says to me, are you going to the Christmas tree chopping? And I was like, well, if my pastor is asking me, I should probably go. So I decided to go. And he also then texted me and said, what do you want for Christmas? And I was like, okay, two situations here. Either A, he likes me, or B, he's a creep in buying Christmas presents for everyone. <laughs> Luckily, it was not B. <laughs> so as this kind of kept going on, I kept saying, I'm like, I think Parker likes me, but I don't want to like really think that because if you're the girl in church that thinks your pastor likes you, like that's weird. And so I don't want to speculate and like, I don't want to make it awkward between us, but this is so complicated. And if he doesn't ask me on a date soon, like I'm going to die. And so like, I don't know what to do. And so Parker calls me one day and I decide to be kind of passive and kind of like give a little hint without like being desperate. So I use an example of someone else. So I said, Parker, I need your pastoral advice here. And he said, <laughs> he said, okay, what? And I go, well, there's this guy and he's hanging out with this girl in church all the time. And he's texting her and stuff like that. Do you think that he should make his intentions clear with her? And he goes, he goes, uh, yeah, who is this? I need to talk to them. And I was like, don't worry. I got it under control. <laughs> five minutes later, five, minute, five minutes later, he calls me and he's like, Jesse, I have to tell you something. And I'm like, okay. And he says to me, and I'm sitting on my bed on the phone. And I'm like, what's he going to tell me? And he says, so I had breakfast with Andy this morning. And I was like, okay, cool. Good for you. And <laughs> he's like, and I told Andy that I liked someone and I'm like, okay. And he goes, well, that person's you. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's really cool. So, <laughs> and he goes, do you want to go on a date this Friday? And I was like, hmm, what's this Friday? Uh, well, I was like, yeah, sure. I'm going to have brunch with Gracie and you can meet me afterwards. And he was like, okay, sounds great. He put it all out there. We went on our first date. It was amazing. We were in a relationship after that, then got engaged and now we're married and now it's not complicated. So, so now we'll do the altar call and no, um, <laughs> No, but so sometimes relationships are, they're just complicated. But the thing is, is once the relationship is defined by someone, it becomes uncomplicated. And so I wonder how many of us in this room feel like we're in a complicated relationship with God. 
Because sometimes I know, and I, I will stand here and like raise my hand with you. Sometimes it seems more complicated than it should be. And girls, you all know, you get together, you get brunch with your friends, and you're like trying to figure out what's the status of your relationship. You like can't work it out. And guys, we forgive you for not sharing with perfect eloquency your intentions with us. But sometimes we're trying to figure out, like, what is this really like all about? Because like I see these things in the Bible and I hear people like crying in worship and like I'm not crying. And I'm not, like, having these crazy encounters with God. So what is missing? What is missing? And so I want to read from 1 John 4, 9 again, which is the verse we read from the very beginning. And it says, and this is John, the best friend of Jesus. And he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That word live is a Greek word, zoe, which means life, real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, devoted to God and being blessed. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus died for us while we were his enemies. So we weren't even good people that were like, God, I want you to define the relationship with me. We were like, I hate you, God. And he was like, I love you. I will sacrifice everything for you. He loved us first. He defined the relationship. He took the first step. We did not. The word love that John uses in this is a rare kind of love. It's called agape love. You might see it on some, like, Christian brands. They, like, love the word agape. Um, But no one really knows what it means. But it's a word that only truly can define the love that God has for us. They had to invent a word for this kind of love. Because it's not the kind of love you have for your friend. It's the love that you have for someone that hates you. It's for a love that surpasses all understanding. It's only the love that God could have for us. And so when God tells us to have agape love, it's only because we can only get it from one place, the source of agape love. And so I want to give you guys three ways to have uncomplicated relationship with God. The first is seek, surrender, and shift. Like that alliteration? I heard that it helps you remember things. So we'll see if it really does. I'll test you in a week. Seek, surrender, and shift. Seek. Okay, Matthew 7, 7 says, ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. I know that people have heard this verse over and over and over again, but it matters because this is how God is telling you to come into the relationship. He is offering his relationship to you. And so I want to say, when you are seeking and asking God, Are you seeking here or are you seeking here? Because when you ask God things from here, it's different than asking God from here. And it changes the the whole dynamic of the relationship. We don't live any longer for the love of God, but we live from the love of God, which changes the whole dynamic of the relationship. The next one is surrender. So 
I want to give you guys kind of an interesting picture. So when we were in Australia, we were at the beach, and I was standing along the shore of the ocean, and I was just looking at, like, I couldn't see the end of it. And I was just standing there, and I was just praying, and we were up early, and I was praying, and I was going, God, I just want more of you. Holy Spirit, I want more of you. Holy Spirit, I want more, I want more. And he said to me, he goes, if you stepped into the middle of the ocean, could you say to the Atlantic Ocean, I want more ocean? And I was like, no. And he said, he goes, it's like asking the Atlantic Ocean for more ocean. It's, you're completely surrounded and covered. Like you can't ask for more. It's all over. It's, it's all consuming. So if you're in the Atlantic Ocean, you can't say, well, I want more ocean. Like, there's no more. It's all there. You have it all. And the choice really is, how deep do you want to go? So as I stand on the shore, I have this much ocean. But the whole thing is available to me. But I have that much. But then I take a little tiny step, and it's a little cold and a little uncomfortable. And then I go a little bit deeper, and maybe there's sharks in the water, and I can't touch my feet to the ground, and I start to lose control. Some of you have to lose control. (laughs) And sometimes the waves knock you over, and you think you're never going to breathe again. (laughs) But then you float on top of the water, and it's all-consuming, and it's all around you. As soon as you surrender your control to stay right on the shore where your feet are and you step into the depth of who God is, you will receive everything that you want and everything that you're asking for. My favorite verse in the Bible is like on Pinterest all over the place. (laughs) And it says, deep calls to deep in the oceans of your love. Deep calls to deep. Not a little gets to a lot. It's he's, he's given you depth of who he is, and he just calls you deeper and deeper and deeper. And so I think as a church, let's stop saying, God, we want more of you, and let's stop praying, God, you can have more of me. You can have more of me, because I think as we surrender our will, we receive all that God has for us. And I just want to ask you guys, this is a question that God asked me, and I'll ask you, um... Is there anything in your life that would cause you to say no to God? What if it was give up all your money? What if it was to die? Whatever that thing is that causes you to say no to God is an idol. And so you constantly have to check your heart and ask yourself, is there anything that would ever cause me to say no to God? Because that has to do with fear. And so we're going to go to 1 John 4:18. I told you we're in John a lot, so let's just... It's really a short book. You guys should read it. So there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. As we obey God and we surrender control, fear goes away and faith increases. Faith is directly attached to obedience. And if you don't believe me, just read the book of James, who was Jesus's brother and probably knew a lot about growing up with Jesus and uh, was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah and knew a thing or two about him. And just read what he has to say about faith and what you do with it. Because if you actually have faith, 
you're required to do something. And it's the same as if you have love. If I said to Parker, I love you, but then I went out like drinking and partying with guys and like sleeping with guys, I don't love him. I don't. My actions don't match up with my words. And so if we love God, we just take little steps of obedience. And the coolest thing about obedience is when you understand the love that God has for you, there's no obligation attached to it because you just receive more of God's love. So people all the time say to me, like, Jesse, how do you share your faith with strangers? Or, like, what's the evangelism, like, things that you say? And honestly, like, I really have a hard time with that. Like, I, I try so hard. I'm like, let me give you, like, what do I say? And honestly, it's different every time. You want to know why? Because people are different. So if I said something systematic to someone, it would seem very inauthentic. But people are different. But guess what? God loves them. And he knows what they're going through. And so when I approach someone and I just tell them what I hear God saying about them, I personally am consumed by the love of God. So that person, whatever they say, they can like punch me in the face, curse at me. I've been cursed out before. I I cannot be rejected because I, I know I'm so loved by God. So I just think, well, if God told me to do that, I'm just going to receive more of his love. So no matter what their outcome is, I receive more of the love of God by responding to him. And so it's this really fun adventure. Okay, and so the last one is shift. Shift. This is probably one of the most important ones and also one of the hardest. Um, So my mom once shared a revelation with me in the kitchen, and I told her it was dumb, as you do, because <laughs> you're like, well, I don't understand, so it's dumb. And she shared this revelation with me, and it completely changed my life because God kept reminding me of it, so it wasn't dumb. So I'm going to share it with you guys. Um, but do you guys know the difference between John and every other disciple in the Bible? I'll tell you. So John calls himself the one that Jesus loves. He says, I'm the one that Jesus loves. I believe if John was around today, him and I would have a fight about who really is the one that Jesus loves. But then he would tell us to stop fighting because that's what all First John is about. So um, that was a Christian joke to see if you guys read your Bibles. Um, so <laughs> apparently not. Read First John. Um, so John says, I, I'm the one Jesus loves. That's me. I'm the one Jesus loves. We sang it before. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. And at the last supper, before Jesus was on his way to the cross, he had a little conversation with his disciples. So Matthew 26, 34, Jesus said to Peter, he's chatting with Peter, but all the disciples are there. He says, truly, I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, You will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. We later read that Peter does deny Jesus three times, just like that said. And do you know that John is the only disciple that is at the cross with Jesus? He is the only one. So what's important about that is this. John's identity 
was completely shifted by being around Jesus. His identity became, I, I am the one that is loved by Jesus. Peter's identity was, I, I won't deny you. I will do the right thing by you, Jesus. And it's not until after the resurrection does Peter have a conversion of that shifting identity. And Jesus says, you love me. He's like, yes, I love you. He's like, then feed my sheep. And this goes on and on. But Peter and John, what the difference is, is John's identity is completely shifted. He is loved by Jesus. And I believe that if you don't receive that as who you are, it is impossible to do your calling. It's impossible to serve on a Sunday without feeling bitter towards people eventually. It is. You will eventually hate Andy, hate Paul, hate Parker, hate I, and hate all of your leaders if you're living out your calling without knowing where your identity comes from. And the reason that is, is, is because it is not an obligation when you know how loved you are. It's so easy to love other people when you know how loved you are. It changes everything. So when people say like, well, this leader didn't do this for me and I have a problem with this. And I just say, oh my gosh, you don't know how much Jesus loves you. That's what it is. Jesus loves you so much. Do you know that? Do you spend time with him? Do you let him tell you how much he loves you? Because when I wake up in the morning, it's actually, can I tell you a secret? I have a hard time reading my Bible. And the reason is, is not because it's boring like some of you might think. I have a hard time reading it because I can't process the love of God through the scripture. I literally like annoy Parker. He's like in the living room doing his devotional. I come out. I'm like, oh my gosh, guess what I just read? Oh my gosh. I'm like, I just read first Timothy and this whole thing was written to me. And he's like, okay, babe. And I'm like, do you understand how much God loves us? And he's like, yes, I'm trying to understand more myself right now. <laughs> but when you read the, the Bible, I want to ask you to say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, speak to me individually. Speak to me. Show me how this scripture applies to me. Because the Bible is the promise for you specifically. It is for you. It is God defining the relationship with you. And so we don't read it out of obligation, but we read it because there's so much more that God offers us than just the surface. And so I want to just kind of challenge you to shift your identity. The Bible talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have to be transformed. John didn't just get a new identity overnight. He walked with Jesus. And I believe that you just have to take that little tiny step into the ocean, that little tiny step into who God is and who he says. Maybe it's signing up for a community group, going to next steps, being around community that can call out the gold in you. And those little tiny steps, reading one scripture a day, just read that one verse and all day think about it. It will transform you. That is a promise from God. It is a promise. It is impossible for you to do this without knowing in your heart that God loves you. I want to share a quick story with you as we wrap up and the bands can come up. Um, so uh, 
when, before I was really following Jesus, um, I was in a relationship, and I was dating this guy, and it was complicated, to say the least, (laughs) and uh, we were dating, and we broke up, and we were apart for about five months, and uh, we started getting back together, because you know that really usually ends up really well when you break up and get back together, (laughs) Um, but we got back together, and then sort of not, and then got back together again, and then sort of not. So we were in this, like, limbo of relationship. And we were one day sitting on the couch, and this past Thursday, I'm laying in bed, and the sun's coming up, and I remembered this situation. And God completely brought this to mind. So I remembered sitting on the couch with this guy, and he says to me, he goes, so Jesse, I, like, obviously this is, been really complicated. And I'm like, yes, I'd agree. And he says, you know, I think I have an idea. He's like, great. He says, I think we should be in an open relationship. And I go, okay, what's that? Ugh, worst question ever. So (laughs) I go, what's that? And he says, well, it's this really great thing. So when we're together, it's like, we're like, we're going to be together. We're dating, we'll go out to dinner, we'll go to all these cool places, and we'll be an exclusive relationship when we're together. But when we're not together, you could see other people, I could see other people, and it's like, fine, but when we're together, we won't talk about that. And uh, the sad part of this story is, I agreed to these terms. I said, okay, I guess that like sounds reasonable. And I left, and I just cried the entire cab ride home. I honestly, I just, like, wept. And I I stayed in that open relationship for two months. And the reason was, was because the months that we were broken up completely, I was so alone. So just having, like, a little tiny bit of a relationship to me was better than having nothing at all. And so... I agreed to this, but like something fell off (laughs) and you're like, of course something felt off. But when you're feeling so hopeless, like you don't know what's the right decision. You're just desperate. And so I woke up Thursday morning remembering the scenario and I ran out to Parker in the living room and I was like, can you pray for me? Like, I just remembered this story and like, it made my heart feel so sad. And Parker prays for me and I go back into the room and I read the Bible And as I'm reading, God says to me, like, it's okay. Like, I love you. And he's just speaking to me. And then God says to me the craziest thing. He says, do you know there are so many people that come to church every Sunday and they're in an open relationship with me? And I just started weeping. And he says, they come to church on Sunday. And when they're with me, they're with me. And they're raising their hand in worship and they're praising me. But then Monday comes and they do whatever they want. And they don't talk about it with me. They do whatever they want. And our lives are completely separate. But then when we're together, we're together. And I said, Jesus, like, why don't you yell at them? (laughs) Like, why, like, why do you even allow that? Why do you even allow that? Like, you're God. You're God. Like, I was not God in that relationship, obviously. But you, you're God. And do you know what he says? He goes, because I'm desperate for them. I'm desperate for them. I love them so much that even when they gave me no relationship, 
I died on the cross for them out of a ridiculous love that I have for them. So if they give me a little bit, I'll take it because I can work with a little bit. But I want all of them because the greatest thing about a relationship is commitment because there's trust there, there's promise there, there's children there, there's fruit there, and all the promises of God come with that commitment. And everything that you want comes when it's committed and there's no more secrets, no more hiding. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City or will be visiting the New York area soon, please be our guest on Sunday. For service times and locations, please visit libertychurchnyc.com.